0: Welcome to Nightmares and Grief, a place to explore and celebrate the darkness. Each episode, I'll read stories written by me, Derek Heisey. So settle in, check under the bed, and pour a drink for the skeletons in your closet. It's time to start. On the Shoulders of Giants I remember the monster under my bed. I remember trying to fall asleep, quavering on the edge, only to be jolted back onto the firmament of wakefulness by weak vibrations in the bed frame and a low, satisfied growl, almost like a snicker. The first time it happened, I wet the bed. The growl was so close to my ear that I couldn't imagine that I'd imagined it, I was too scared to move, too scared to scream. The next day, I watched how my mother did the laundry so that I could clean the bedding myself. I was so ashamed that I couldn't let my parents know. They were both so worried about me. I mean, they never said it, but I picked up on it with the seemingly psychic prowess that, you know, all children possess. See, I got bullied a lot, and my parents pressed into the refrain that I needed to be a big boy, and big boys solve their problems. They can take care of themselves. Letting them know wasn't an option, especially when my mother caught me transferring the sheets into the dryer. Her face lit up with gleeful surprise. I, I told her that I'd do my own laundry from now on and she couldn't have been more proud. I still don't know if she figured it out when she helped me make the bed. The stink of my own urine was strong, that salty musk dangling in the air like a rotten hangman. Fortunately, the mattress was black. I always imagined that she'd figured it out, because the bed was remade with different sheets when I went to sleep that night and the stench had all but vanished. We never talked about it, though. It lingered, unspoken, with the same ammonia sting as my soiled bed. It was some weeks later before I heard the monster again. Though I was doing laundry every week, I'd nearly forgotten about it. The sensation of fear when transferring damp clothes into the dryer persisted, but remained distant, bright, and small like the North Star under oppressive city lights. When it came the next time, I steeled myself. I grit my teeth so hard that they groaned. The growl was longer this time, more purposeful, menacing, opposed to being circumstantial. This time, it felt directed. My fingers curled into themselves, Nails biting my palms, and I thought about how I would fight it if it emerged at last from its space beneath the bed's wooden ribs. I realized, though, that it was a futile effort. I I couldn't possibly defeat a monster. At least, not as I was. If I was going to be safe, I'd have to get stronger. At school, I studied the biggest, scariest boys, trying to figure out what made them so powerful. I emulated the meanest bully's swagger and disposition, practicing in the mirror when my parents thought I was asleep. Once, I saw some of the fifth graders do a push-up contest in the snow during recess. The meanest boy in school could do 58 I resolved then and there that I would be able to do 100 before the end of the school year. I spent hours lifting myself off the ground and lowering back down, taking breaks to jog in place, drink water, and practice my demeanor. By spring break, I could do 70. I was left alone at school and my father bore a look of undiluted pride on his face when he clapped a hand on my arm. Squeezed the hard bicep and told me I was filling out. I felt safe for the first time since I'd wet the bed in fear. I wondered if I even needed to get to 100 push ups. That night, as I drifted to sleep with a soft, dreamy smile gracing my easy face, the rank odor of piss filled my nostrils. Quaking, I shot upright and patted the blankets near my crotch, then my pajamas, but everything was dry, all dry. Beneath my bed rumbled the low, disapproving growl which haunted my every waking moment. The sound I heard and the rumble of motorcycle engines and souped-up cars the high school boys raced down the frontage road, I pictured what it might look like. I imagined hawk-like talons at the end of dirty, muscular arms, feathered in grey, and I knew that even if I could do a thousand push-ups, I would never be able to defeat the monster with sheer strength. I pushed harder, and by summer break I could do 150, but I knew I needed skills. Every spring, my father applied for a license to hunt bear in the lower peninsula. He never got selected for the permit and went on trips for deer instead, all the while grumbling about his fantasy of hauling in a massive black beast. We always had deer through the winter, and once he enlisted my help harvesting the meat. The skin, the meat, slippery knife. It was all too much. I, I nearly fainted. But that was the year before, and in June, my father was selected for a bear hunting license. I asked him to take me, deploying that practiced aloofness I'd learned over my third grade year, and I'd expected to beg to elaborate a list of my worthiness to redeem my past shortcomings before asking i devised an argument preparing for every verbal contingency but it never came to that he was overjoyed that i asked it was illegal for me to hunt the bear so i had to get a license for the deer Every weekend, we went target shooting, and he lined up beer cans for me to practice my aim with BBs when he got back from work. He taught me how to tread quietly in the forest, how to step without making a sound, teaching me things he'd learned in special forces. While other boys played Halo and football with their newfound summertime freedom, I practiced my crouch, my aim, my stalking, and my pull-up. I convinced my father to teach me knife-fighting techniques and saved my allowance for a wide, wicked hunting blade, curved like a crescent moon. I practiced what he taught me by slashing at horrifying, ethereal shadows. My mother caught me one afternoon and, horrified, took the knife away. She got into it with my father that night, said she couldn't believe her little boy was turning into a monster. My dad barked back that I was finally becoming a boy, a real boy, and that it was long overdue. He said he didn't know what switch got flipped in me, but he loved me now more than ever, and she needed to let me go and come into my own. My mother locked herself in the bedroom, weeping. Later, my father came into my room, a cold PBR in one hand, the hunting knife in the other. He apologized for my mother as I took back the knife. Then he finished his beer and went to sleep on the couch. The monster scraped at the rungs beneath my bed that night, running sharp claws over the wood, chuckling in the low engine rumble the entire night. My father planned the hunt for the following weekend. Even my mother's wan moroseness and purposefully bland food through the week couldn't dampen his spirits. He was kind, chipper, and sweet. She wasn't having any of it, though. She seemed aware of the condescending ploy and buttoned her lips shut. As determined as my father was to remain in a good mood, so was she in maintaining its polar opposite. I knew it was serious when she snubbed the bouquet of roses. He extended them out with a big, brilliant smile and she pushed them away, driving thorns into his palm and drawing blood. I thought it was over then. A vision flashed through my mind of my father wielding the roses like a club, scattering petals across the kitchen floor like velvety puddles of blood. I sucked in my breath and held it, the plates of spaghetti I carried to the table trembling in my hands. But he kept it together. He laid the bouquet on the sink, closed his eyes, and sucked the wound on his palm. Then he got a PBR from the fridge, took it to the lazy boy, and turned on a baseball game. I think it shocked my mother more than me. I think she had the same vision I did. That act of restraint was the single greatest admission of love my father ever deployed for me. I knew then that the hunting trip was the culmination of all my hard work. It was both a reward and a test. So that night, when the monster under my bed growled at me, I growled back. We packed up my father's truck and headed out Friday before the sun rose. My mother hugged me, kissed my head, held my face, and stared deep into my eyes as if it were the last time she'd ever see me. We roasted s'mores over the fire that night and cooked dinner in tinfoil packets nestled beside the orange coals. My father pointed at the stars and taught me about the planets and constellations. He confessed that he'd wanted to go to the moon and be an astronaut, but he wasn't enough. He couldn't pass his pilot's exam because of his eyesight. He'd gotten his master's in computer science anyway, hoping that by the time he finished, medicine would have advanced enough to help, but when Lasix was invented, he'd already had hypertension and a trick knee. He popped a roasted marshmallow in his mouth, cussing about the scorching guts, and then chased it with another PBR. Even then, at that age, I knew he was processing the confession for himself and not for my benefit. I hadn't understood most of the words he used, but I understood his tone and the pattern of his speech. I understood the longing that creased his face as he tilted his eyes skyward and i understood the rapidly depleting six pack of beer it broke my heart and not long after i told him i was tired and going to bed he hadn't come to the tent by the time i drifted off to sleep i didn't hear the growl until morning It took me by surprise because I thought for sure the monster was restricted to my bedroom. Quaking, helpless fear solidified into resolve when I determined that, outside of its territory, it must be weaker. Familiar ground was a key advantage my father taught me about. Always get into a fight on your terms. So this was my moment seized with hateful courage I snatched my father's rifle and loaded it while he stirred from sleep I would live my life in a way that he couldn't with malicious logograms scrawled across my face I ripped the tent open a massive black bear snuffled through a discarded foil packet my father must have been too drunk to put it away The bear raised its enormous head, curling its lips to show off sharp teeth. It tensed its jaw and let loose a thunderous roar. I roared back and shouldered the rifle. It didn't like that. The bear heaved toward me, crossing half the distance in a single bound. My pants went warm the second I commanded my finger to pull the trigger, and I knew I would miss. I felt two blows, first from my side, and then as the world went sideways from the rifle's butt. Another roar mingled with the snap of a tree branch. My head hit a rock. Dazed, I saw the bear looming above me, reeling back its claw as my father reached for the gun beneath my body. The monster's sharp black talons collided with his face, shredding his cheeks and temple and spinning his head to the side with a sickening crack. I screamed, rolling onto my back and raising the rifle to meet the bear's throat. Red mist sprayed hot over my face. The beast collapsed into a still, silent lump, its final roar cut off mid-pitch. I scrambled to my feet and ran toward the ranger's station, stinking of piss. My ears filled with the monster's throaty chuckle. My mother was right about one thing. I wasn't the same when I got back. I slept a lot less, for starters. The night we buried my father, I got my first glimpse of the monster. It started as it always did raking its claws against the ribs of my bed frame until I trembled, and then, once it knew it had my attention, began its low, rumbling growl. I thought about the bear. I thought about what happened when I growled, too. So I kept it in. Tears caught in my throat like a hot coal, and I clenched my teeth so hard I thought they'd crack. From my gut, toxic purple hate boiled into my throat with acidic sting, and I whispered, square up, you ugly son of a bitch. Before my eyes, four pale fingers long and sharp like tiger's fangs peaked over the bed and wrapped around the edge. Puckered wet sores mottled the sickly white flesh-like screaming mouths. The ammonia stink of piss filled my nostrils, but this time I knew it wasn't me. I knew in the deepest chambers of my heart that the stink emanated from the monster and that I was clean. I visualized a gaunt creature with stringy black hair, its face collapsing under rotten cheeks and sunken bone. I imagined it opening its lipless jaw and exhaling piss-stinking breath from between two squat rows of yellow piranha teeth. Then, I imagined driving the hunting knife between its eyes. I told it over and over again to leave me alone, synchronizing my sharp, ugly commands with its pitiful wails as I drove the knife into its body again and again and again. I repeated the words over and over again, and with every insistence the creature diminished, fading away until the knife slipped from my blood-slick hands and it managed to scurry away alive. Authority. Strength. Words. The power of a command, like a sorcerer's spell, had saved me. I knew what skills I needed now. I learned how to wield consonants and vowels, rhetorical devices, entire languages like a finely crafted blade. Through middle and high school, I was the undefeated national debate champion. The bullies left me alone, not for fear of my growing physical threat, but for fear that my words might tear their heart to ribbons. I found weaknesses in their sensibilities as simply as feeling for space between ribs, and then I'd slide silver-tongued daggers into the tender flesh of their self-esteem. Every time I sent them away, utterly decimated, I thought about the soft spot on a bear's throat, the heat of soiled pants, and the taste of blood. I got better and more ruthless because I knew that if I ever eased up, I would meet the monster again, and this time it would find the soft places on me. After graduating university magna cum laude with a degree in poli sci, it was just a matter of time before I landed a position at the State Department. The monster only appeared when I drank too much or had nightmares about my father. Whenever that happened, I'd push even harder. It came to me again when I was appointed National Security Advisor. The country was on the brink of war, the president was unpopular, and I let all the doubt creep in. The night I confided in a casual companion that I didn't know if we would avoid the worst, that all roads led to hell, that was the first night in years that I had to fall asleep against the thunder of its growl. But I strong-armed the globe into peace. I made the world obey. I broke an intern's jaw when he called me Henry Kissinger and bent back his fingers until he said my name. Then I broke one anyways as a tax for the trouble. I won my first presidential bid by a wide margin. Voters loved the bear story. One cartoonist depicted it as Russia. When I saw it in the paper, I burned it and then made some calls. He was fired the next day and before the week was up, he got picked up for dealing heroin. I won my second race in a landslide. And I haven't smelled the stink of fear ever since. That is, until today. I landed in London for the G20 summit. After dinner, when all the well-dressed monkeys smoked cigars on the veranda a wiry man with skin the color of spoiled pork, approached. He said he represented an arms manufacturer called Hulfas, explaining that they'd like to help us in the upcoming war. I explained to him that there was no war. We lived at the start of the longest peace in history. It was true. I'd positioned the country at the head of a powerful global government. The notion of war was impossible. The world wanted peace, and I gave it to them. He chuckled, with a voice low and raspy from too many cigarettes. The man from Halfus said he wasn't so sure. Hear me out first. I, I missed his entire proposal. Because I couldn't stop staring at the cold sore nestled in the corner of his mouth. A crusty yellow graveyard scabbed over the wet wound and repulsed me. He finally got my attention when he asked about the bear. He asked if the story was true. Around me, the other men stiffened visibly. They let the crickets fill the long silence. I said yes. It was true. The man from Halfus told me that my father must have been a very special person. It's important to remember the fallen and never forget who got us where we are today. Then he extended his hand. smiled his breath stank like piss now let's talk about that war thank you for sharing my nightmares and helping me carry the grief if you enjoyed the story please consider giving it a rating. It goes a long way to help other people find the show. Share your favorite nightmare with a friend or family member, and let me know what you think in the comments. Thanks again for sharing this time with me. Good night.